Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 45 of The Bible Unmasked. I am your moderator, Levon Brown, and our presenter today is Pastor Jennifer Hernandez. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And um, as you know, the Bible Unmasked is our weekly Bible study that is aired on Sunday nights at 7.30 p.m. on YouTube and the Plantation SDA TV. Our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021, and we and uh, we are inviting you to join us on this journey. Now, our journey is almost at an end. However, please go back and watch the previous versions of the Bible Unmasked and, you know, read along with us. Um, we invite you to do so. All right, so please note that the weekly reading plan is shared during our Sabbath um, service and on social media. So please read along with us and invite your friends and family to join us also. And um, we're asking that as you read, that you not read all the passages just at one sitting, but read along and then as you're reading, text your questions um, in advance to 954-388-8780. And um, our pastors and the principal Stevenson will prayerfully address your questions weekly. So we are also inviting you to subscribe to the Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel to be automatically notified of any future episodes of the Bible Unmasked or any other live stream event. So as I said, our presenter this evening is Pastor Jennifer Hernandez, affectionately known as Pastor Jen. Um, good evening, Pastor Jen, how are you today? Good evening. I am fine and happy to be doing this segment yes. with you. This is our first time. It's our first time. Yes. It's our first time. And I'm happy to be doing this with you also. <laughs> but I hope everything is good with you and your family. Yes. Okay. Everything is awesome. Good. All right. So we're going to get into our study this evening. We do have a few questions and everything. But before we do so, let's have a word of prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, as we come before you this evening, we want to thank you for life and thank you for the opportunity to come before you today at another day, opening your words and reading your word. Help, we ask, dear Lord, that you will bless us this, this evening. And I pray that whatever message that you have in store for us, that we will receive. Be with Pastor Jen as she um, opens the word and helps to explain these different passages to us. Bless and keep us always. Be with our viewers, dear Lord. I pray that they will be blessed. Bless and keep us as we go through um, the study this evening. In your name I pray. Amen. 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 All right. So before we get into this week, let's talk a little bit about what we studied last week. We studied Luke 7 um, to 24. Can you give us mm -hmm. a summary of what we covered in our study last week? Um, I am looking through Luke 7 through 24, and this is really about the ministry of Jesus. We see many of his healings where he healed a centurion servant. He healed a woman who was um, a sinful woman who came to anoint him. We talk, we hear about how many women are ministering with Jesus he, there's several parables in here. 
um, famous story about the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus's daughter and how then they crossed over to the other side and they met with Legion, the demoniac, talks about Jesus and all that he did with feeding the multitude. Um, let's see. Again, here it covers um, Jesus going into Samaria, the parable of the Good Samaritan, teaches us how to pray. Here's where we find the Lord's Prayer. Um, it talks about how to be aware of hypocrisy, um, talks about repenting or perishing. Let's see how oh, this is the, you guys went through many things last week. <laughs> through 24, right? Yeah. Um, again, a lot of healings, many miracles that have been done, several, several parables. And let me fast forward all the way through 24. We talks about the Sadducees. What about their resurrection? Um, talks about the widow, how to give, how to give from your heart. Talks about the destruction of Jerusalem, the parable of the fig tree. And then it goes into um, the end of his life, you know, the plot to kill Jesus, the upper room, prayer in the garden, and his whole trial and crucifixion. And then, of course, it ends with him. Jesus rising up and also speaking to the disciples. So Amen. it really is, it really is all about Jesus yeah. and all about Jesus. Yes. And this week I'm looking at John's account and we're looking from John 1 through to 12. So what what do we what's your summary of this week? <laughs> all right. It talks about um, John and how he begins with his ministry. Um, it talks about Jesus and the calling of the first disciples. Again, again, it begins with Jesus's life, right? Um, talks about the very first miracle that Jesus did, and then also him cleansing the temple. Talks about his dealings with Samaritans. Um, we're going through one through seven. Am I, am I right? Um, um, one through twelve, one through 12. Yeah. <laughs> the, the healing on the Sabbath um, and and the issues with that again, all the miracles that he has done, the feeding the five thousand because when you look across the synoptic the gospels many many of the stories are repeated, but coming from all the different authors, so John is right. so so you'll see like uh, some of the repeats from Luke. However, now we're looking at John's mm -hmm. account. Talks about how he was rejected by his own, by his own country. Um, how people are trying to associate Jesus, like, is this really the Christ based on everything that has been happening? It talks about um, how he dealt with an adulteress. And let's see. There, there, there's a whole like outline in here, but there's so many here. And Jesus, the true shepherd, and ending with 12. 
the anointing at Bethany. So again, we also talk about the plot to kill Jesus, but we stop here in, in final in 12 about how he has been anointed and he predicts his own death. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So we do have some questions and the questions are mainly focused from um, John one through to five. Okay. All yeah. right. So um, the first question is from John one um, verse 10. And he says that he was in the world and um, through the world was made through him. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And though, and though the world was made through him, he, um, the world did not recognize him. So the question right. is, are there other passages that support Jesus's involvement in the creation in addition to this verse? And yes, there are. Yes, there are. Let us look first at, um, let us look first at Genesis 1, 28. So, does say are there other passage in addition to Genesis 128? Let's look at right. Genesis 128 first. Actually, it is 126. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So let's look at it straight from the Bible. It doesn't say, Let mm -hmm. I right. make man. You know, so when he's talking about us, God is saying us as in myself, God, um, God, the father, Jesus, God, the son and the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit. So he's including everyone in it. Therefore, this is the first place where we see um, Jesus, the involvement of Jesus in creation. We also have John 1, 3 where it says all things were made through him mm -hmm. and without him, nothing was made that was made. We have John 1 10. He was in the world, Jesus, and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. We have first Corinthians eight, six, yet for us, there is one God, the father of whom are all things and we for him and one lord jesus christ through whom are all things and through whom we live so again there are that references that creation comes through jesus christ as well colossians 1 16 for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created through him and for him. And Hebrews 1, 2 states, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things through whom also he, Jesus, made the worlds. Amen. So there, there's several references that Jesus was, was included in, or that supports his involvement in the creation. In the creation. Yes. Okay, awesome. All right. Um, the next question comes to us from John 1, 45 to 46. And um, basically it's saying, can any good thing come um, out of Nazareth? Um, Nathaniel asks, come and see, said Philip. 
So the question is, what was wrong with Nazareth for Philip to make this statement? So in the Gospel of John, we read about many witnesses. Everybody is testifying about Jesus, what they have seen. Mm -hmm. And so, as you say, we come to the end of the chapter, we meet another type of witness. Now, now Philip, you know, he, he's, ex he's excited right? Because he's met Jesus and now he's, he's been converted and now he wants to share it with his friend. And so Nathaniel's first reaction to Philip's claim that he found, he and others found the Messiah, Messiah, well, it sounds kind of disappointing, right? Or it sounds, it sounds really um, skeptical, sarcastic. Well, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? So when we're looking at it, we're thinking about Nazareth. Nazareth was a very small village. Um, according to research of the archeologists, it probably had no more than 150 residents. And it was overshadowed by Rome with a large Jewish population city just 35, 45 minutes walk away, which served as an um, administrative city center. This was Zippori. I'm not sure if I'm going to um, pronounce that right. So Jesus <laughs> must have spent time there as a youth, accompanying his Nazareth resident parents for all kinds of matters con pertaining to life in Roman Palestine. But it is not um, it's not apparent exactly why mm -hmm. Nazareth would get such a negative evaluation. And so we, we need to look at it further. It's possible that because it was small, um, even by the measurements of the time, and it, and it was known as some kind of Judean affiliate center in Galilee, and therefore those who didn't like current Jerusalem leaders, um, or Jerusalem at all, mm -hmm. that Nazareth's Judean ideology, its ideological affiliation was clear and negative, signifying that they were indeed Jerusalem's regional representatives in Galilee. So we're not quite sure there, but the name, the name of the village, Nazareth, comes from Hebrew or most likely comes from the Hebrew meaning for the branch. So this points in the direction of the first option. Um, and then when we look at Nazareth in Luke 4 to 16 to 30, we see that Nazareth really rejected Jesus, although it was his hometown. So the John's gospel paints a very sunny picture of Jesus's great reception in Galilee compared with his rejection in Judea. And almost every time that Jesus is accepted in Galilee, um, his rejections are, are really pointed out in Judea. So, so we, we're not entirely sure why Nazareth has such a negative um, concept but may, perhaps, just perhaps because it was situated so closely and overshadowed by the, Rome, the Roman city and what they had to do with it. Okay. 
So I suppose we could think of places right now, um, you know, around us that others would look at to say, well, can anything good come out of there? Because, you know, it's always just bad news, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I guess it was something similar to that. Right. The view of the city, right? Okay. All right. So our next question is coming to us from John 1, um, verses 45 to 51. And I could, I'll just quickly read that. And um, it says, Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, whence knoweth thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before that Philip called thee, um, when thou wast um, under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, thou art the son of God, thou art the king of Israel. Jesus answered and said unto him, because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believeth thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. And he said unto him, verily, verily, I say unto you, um, hereafter ye shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. The question is, what's the relevance of the fig tree? Does it make any, what it is, is it significant that he saw him, um, that he was sitting under a fig tree? Hmm. Okay. Um, so let's look at what a fig tree could represent first. The fig tree was the just the symbolism of the fig tree itself is significant. It signifies it signifies a sacred place of prayer, study, and meditation. The fig tree sitting under a fig tree signifies a place of well, not sitting under, but the fig tree itself signifies a place of peace and safety in the midst of cruel circumstances. It mm -hmm. signifies also a place of longing for the Messiah to show himself as king. So, so that so, so that's explains right there what the fig tree itself could represent. So now when you just read um, what Jesus says to Nathaniel, he treats his response with a little bit of humor, um, paraphrase. And so, so let's just paraphrase. Oh, you believe all that just because I saw you sitting under a tree? Man, you're going to see greater evidence that I am the Messiah than just this. You know, so perhaps it's a little bit of humor. So there's one view. Perhaps it's a little bit of humor that, that Jesus is saying this to Nathaniel. Now, when we, when we look at the the text, Nathaniel was doing something under the fig tree. It doesn't say, so when, say, when it says that Jesus saw him, Nathaniel was doing something. What he has been doing, we do not know. It's not recorded here. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> our best educated guess is that Nathaniel picked that particular spot to pray. Because like I said before, it was common for, because of what the fig tree um, was a place of peace, it was common for Jews to search for a peaceful place to pray in. 
Um, and so Nathaniel could have been, could have been in a, in a private devotion in that place. However, there is another view. Um, another view that this is spoken truly in just symbolism and not that it actually happened because usually, you know, Jesus speaks to us in symbolism. Mm -hmm. When he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, it's possible that he didn't mean that actually um, physically. Perhaps it meant that he saw inside Nathaniel's heart. Um, let's look, for example, at Hebrews 4, 12 to 13. It says, God's word is alive. It God's word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones. And it judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. Nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. Everything is clear and lies open before him. And to him, we must explain the way we have lived. So, so now that Jesus knew his heart, this is what Nathaniel meant by he understood what Jesus meant. Christ reveals his heart towards Nathaniel because Nathaniel wasn't a man of pretense. Um, he, he made no false estimation of himself, but he takes note of Nathaniel's fruit, his devotion under a tree or evidence of our faith. And so perhaps Jesus is saying, so the, another view is perhaps Jesus is saying, I see your heart. And so he's, he's telling Nathaniel this and Nathaniel is like, oh, for him to see me, he is, he is the son of God. Right, right. Right. So there are several views, could have been humor. It, it, it could have just been that He's under a fig tree because the fig tree is a symbolism of peace and, and, and prayer and devotion. Or, or it could have been that Christ is saying this was his way of convicting Nathaniel that he saw who he was and what his thoughts were. Okay. I was thinking along the lines, um, and, and thank you for that, because you have kind of opened my mind to many other concepts <laughs> with regards to you know, understanding the scripture. But I was wondering if Jesus didn't actually physically see him under the possibly, picture. but he possibly, just, yeah, yeah. Being God, he Jesus, you know, he um, he's saying this to him to let him know that he can see him even though he's not physically seeing him. So this proves to him that he is not Truly. just a regular man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so okay. All right. So let's see here, John one fifty to fifty one again. Jesus said, "You have." You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Verily, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending um, on the Son of Man. In this passage, Jesus speaks of himself as Jacob's ladder. Um, how significant is that? All right. So for those tuning in for the first time and don't know or you could be tuning in all year and still don't understand what Jacob's ladder is. Mm. Let's go back to Genesis 28, 12. And um, here we have, have Jacob, you know, he's on the run. He knows he's about to meet 
Esau, and he he knows what he did. He knows he's stolen the birthright. So this is years. This is years later of uh, of knowing that he's built a life, right? He's built a life. Um, he, he's built his own legacy. But now he has to reckon. He has to reckon with with his his brother. And now he's afraid, you know, because he knows that his brother has his own men. Um, and so now he knows that he's going to meet him. And so he's afraid and he lies down and he, he begins to dream. And so in this dream, it says in Genesis 28, 12, then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and and descending. So let's just take a look at what he's doing. Um, Jacob's Jacob's conflicted. His thoughts would have been would have been painful. And so he goes to sleep. He sees this dream, and it becomes like the best sleep he's ever had because. God, this is when God visits his visits us. You know, sometimes he talks to us when we have to, when we have to be silent. He sees this ladder in the dream and um, that reached from earth to heaven. The angels are ascending and descending and God himself is at the head of it. This prevents two things, um, not, not prevents, this represents two mm-hmm. things that, that, are for Jacob at this time. This represents the providence of God, that there are angels coming back and forth that mm-hmm. are ministering to his every need, that they are going up, um, receiving God's instructions and coming back down to minister now to, to Jacob, to whomever God is, is min- to telling his angels to minister to. So this brings him great comfort, right? Um, he, he, he's been affirmed by God that God will see him through. And, and God has also spoken, ha, has previously, God has also spoken to him and ratified the promises um, that he had spoken to his father before. So God is saying, all right, to him in this dream, I am having my angels intercede for you on my behalf now when you go to this question now here so that's jacob's ladder that's what jacob's ladder is so now now when you go here through john 151 and jesus speaks of himself as jacob's ladder now it's even more prominent for us so now instead of angels descending and um ascending and descending to god himself it is now jesus who is our mediator. Jesus now is saying, no longer just my angels or or no longer just that, now it's me. Right. I am interceding for you. I am going up and down to the father and I am, I am the ladder, I am the bridge. Right, okay. Let me get back to, okay. Thank you so much for that, uh, Pastor Jen. That definitely answers the question. Um, all right, so our next question is, um, Jesus's first miracle was at a social event. He turned the water into wine, mm-hmm. and um, specifically a wedding, and they're asking, is that significant? 
that's the first, um, okay, that's one out of two questions, right? Is it significant that the, the first miracle was at a wedding um, and um, specifically a wedding? <laughs> All right, let me get yeah. to John 2 real quick here. All right, so one is specific because Jesus puts his, is his stamp on marriages, you know, marriages are good. Right. This is where it is. Um, one of the significance that comes from this is that here is where Mary introduces her son. Basically, mm -hmm. she doesn't say it, but now she knows now that it is time for him to begin his ministry. And right. this is, this is like, okay, now is his debut. Now is the time to do it. But it's not like she walked into the wedding planning, you know, planning mm -hmm. that, okay, I'm going to make him do this. It just so happened that, that the wine ran out. And so the host obviously knew Mary and, and she was the one who signals her son. All right. She tells a servant, do whatever that he tells you. And so running out of wine at a wedding celebration is one back in those days, um, very humiliating, <laughs> very humiliating. Yeah. You needed to have wine for, for the guests. And in fact, um, right, okay, I'll, I'll get there. Uh, I was gonna mm -hmm. say something, I'll get there. So you needed to have wine for the guests. So to run out early um, was a bad thing. So this miracle, when he goes, let's see where he, when it says here, um, he says six water pots of stone according to the manner. And so when he goes, this miracle, not only it shows, it first shows Jesus's supernatural control over physical elements mm -hmm. like water. So, right. and, and this marks the beginning of his public ministry. It benefits people in need. And so when they're saying, and now let's look at, there's several symbolisms in here. Let's look at the jars. It says here um, in two verse six, there were set, now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Just look at that part. According to the manner of purification mm -hmm. for the Jews. So the Jews cleanse their, cleanse their hands, their cups and vessels with water um, before a meal. So this symbolism is that it was important to prepare the new wine in the jars used in the Jewish purification cer ceremony because it symbolizes that Jesus has changed the old covenant into the new covenant, transforming the order of the law into the order of grace. Um, it, also, it also shows that because the water signified the Jewish system of purification, um, this grace being replaced with pure wine represents Jesus' spotless blood washing away our sins. Um, let's look at how it talks about when he does this. The steward, he tells the master of the feast, um, draw, tells the steward, draw some of it out, take it to the master of the feast. 
and he took it. So when the master of the feast tasted the water that was made into wine, he did not know where it had come from. So it was the stewards who had seen that it was first water. They had not, the, the master had no idea that there was a miracle that was about to, um, to unfold. And so the master now tells him, every man, so here's, here, here was I gonna, here was where I was gonna go at the very beginning. Every man at the beginning, so we're talking about at the beginning of the wedding for, for all the feasts, usually they set out the good wine to be used at first and then they replace it with the cheap wine once everyone is drunk and, part and partying because they're not gonna know. They're not gonna know that the cheap wine has now replaced um, the good wine. So that's when it's replaced. But now he says, you have done the opposite. You have brought out the good wine first. You know, you have done this now. So there's a lot of symbolism saying behind Jesus's first miracle. Not only was it, not only what was it his first miracle, not only did Mary, um, did Mary debut or, or start Jesus's, help Jesus start his first public ministry, but he also showed his, his supernatural control over elements. And, right. he and he just showed, you know, in this symbolism that he, this was grace coming through the, repla the, the replacing of the wine marks the future blood that his, he would shed to wash away our sins. Sorry, that was an extra, extra explanation for that question. <laughs> for someone who is uh, just reading the Bible, just picking up the Bible and reading it and, um, they may ask, well, how did Mary know that he could do that? Mary knew from yeah. the beginning that he was mm -hmm. set apart. Right. She had been training him, or they had been, Mary and Joseph had been training him that, um, that he was, he was the chosen one, not only through scripture as through the synagogue, but, um, she knew that he was set apart from God. He was foretold at birth that he was the Messiah, right. that he would be doing great things. Mm -hmm. Perhaps she didn't know. Perhaps she didn't know. Um, that's a good question. Perhaps she didn't know exactly mm -hmm. what he could do, you know, but, but she knew that he could do something to remedy okay. the situation. That he could help the situation. That he could help, right? Yeah. Um, and so, I, I don't know, maybe she thought that he could somehow get more wine from other vendors. We have no idea, but she knew that there was something that he could profoundly do. Yeah. Out of this world do for, for this couple. Okay, okay. All right, so um, the next question has to do with the woman at the well. It says the woman at the well had many husbands. Does this mean that she was promiscuous um, or does it mean that most of the men she was with had dumped her <laughs> since women <laughs> didn't have the power to leave a man as they desired without being stoned? So All was right. it that she was promiscuous or that her husbands were leaving her? Okay, which, let me see, here we go. Okay, we are in, we are in, I believe, John 4. All right. 
Mm-hmm. <sighs> <laughs> poor women, poor women. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in today's society, when we mention in today's society, when we mention a woman having many husbands or many boyfriends, or oh, you know, let's let's just say a woman who's been married many times, because there are women who have been married once, twice, three times, you know, or our immediate thought, right, is mm-hmm. promiscuity. Right. 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 That's the, or, or immorality. Like, well, how do, how's this woman, man, you know, she's had four husbands. She's been with six boyfriends, man, this woman just loves men. That's our thought today. We have to, <clears throat> in considering this passage and, and unfortunately, so unfortunately we bring our thoughts into today and read it into into these passages we immediately and some sermons have been said well this woman's promiscuous and 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 therefore this is why she was saved right but when you really look at this text when you really read it um first let's look we have to we have to look at the societal con um context back then um, women, women couldn't divorce. Mm-hmm. Men could divorce their wives, but it's a it's a different situation if a wife wants to divorce her husband. So men, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and finds that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some kind of indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce puts it in her hand and tells her to leave, mm-hmm. right? Um, she leaves her, she leaves his house and, and then goes to become another man's wife. When we say goes to become another man's wife, it's women put off like that. They don't have, unless they have parents who are still alive, usually women go back home. But mm-hmm. for women who can't do that, who um, are just products of divorce, it's she, she just, then meet somebody else and becomes another man's wife. But and then if that husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and sends her out of the house, um, or if the la- or if the her husband dies, who took her to be his wife, the you know the, the last husband, the former husband can't take her back to be his wife because she has already been defiled. So this is found in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24, 1 to 4. Women could not propose marriage to a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way that they would, uh, the only will write, I don't even so, want to say right way, you know, but um, mm-hmm. only legal way that they could have had um, several marriages is because one brother has died, therefore her line has um, his line has to continue. So another brother takes his place to um, try to produce a child, and 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 it keeps going. So this this happened in the story of Tamar, right? And this is why she had to go through such great lengths because of all her three husbands, um, she could not produce a child, and therefore, if you look back in Genesis, you'll see the story of Tamar and and, and how she eventually got a a line out of her father-in-law and so but when this was a that was a leveret marriage but for this woman at the well it wasn't a leveret marriage so now we have to consider then why 
was this woman possibly having several, have had several husbands. And I come to, we, we, we can come to the possible conclusion is that perhaps she'd been barren. Um, women who could not produce any children were considered cursed of God. And so, and, and the men too, um, who, who could not produce a son were also considered a curse. So um, perhaps this woman had been barren and, and she couldn't have his kids. So this is why she has gone from husband to husband. I'm just saying perhaps, it doesn't say it. Perhaps she had been barren and she couldn't provide a son. That's why she moved on to another man. So, but let's, let, let's look at it here. If she had lived a life of immorality, so we see stories of Jesus um, forgiving prostitutes. And when we look at those stories, like the woman caught in adultery, they're begging at his feet, they're crying. Um, and, and, and with the woman who was who went to anoint Jesus, doesn't say exactly why she went to anoint him, but she's crying at his feet because he's forgiven her for whatever sin. If you look here, this woman, if you really read this text, this woman um, is not crying at his feet, is not saying um, that this text is not saying anything at all about promiscuity. And, and so, it's very possible. It's very possible that she was not promiscuous, but the fact that she just could have been barren, and mm -hmm. hence gone, you know, had different husbands. So, what does it mean when it says, um, "And the woman answered and said, I have no husband." Jesus said unto her, "Thou hast said well. I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and." He whom thou now have is not thy husband. I, I think the, the 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 thoughts of promiscuity is in within that line. Not that she had. Uh, you see what? Per, perhaps or so. Perhaps we could be thinking of legally she had had the previous men as husbands, but now he's not. The, the, the one she has now the one is she not has now husband, is not. So she has so, somebody else's husband. So therefore, we're seeing her as, okay, you had five husbands for whatever reason. It could, as you said, it could have been for different reasons. She was barren or, you know, her husbands left her or, or they died. Whatever. I don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. But why does she have a husband now that doesn't belong to her? So that's, that's, I think is where. Oh, that's where possibly that's of. where the line comes from. Right. So, right. Perhaps. Right. And then perhaps she says, I this perceive one you're a prophet because she says, oh, that is exactly true. So I perceive that you are a prophet, <laughs> you know? Right. Right. Perhaps it could be that this one was not yet legalized. Okay. Perhaps, okay. um, or, 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 per, or we're, we're just going going along with many perhaps, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps she, perhaps it's that well she has legally had um, husbands up until this time and they've for some reason or other they have divorced her. Mm -hmm. Why marry again if it's going to happen again? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> perhaps I have. That's a good question. Yeah. It, it, a good question. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Um, all right, so let's move on to the next question. And it says that in John 3, verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. If no one has ever gone um, to heaven pursuant to this verse, where did Enoch, Elijah, and Moses go? Whew, this was... This one was a somewhat hard, uh, okay, it, 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 it was a hard research for this one because, uh, you know, I really did think, yeah, where did they go? <laughs> <laughs> um, so let me see, let me take it, I, I put it in a different note here because I knew this was going to be um, pretty significant. And so here we go. So we know, oh, I think I just lost my Zoom. Okay, no, you're oh, there. No. All right, you're there. All right, so um, we know that Elijah, there we go. Elijah um, was taken. And, and, it, and it says that <laughs> that was taken. However, um, he did not ascend to the throne of God. So in all of these, in, in, in all of these three, we think that they have been made um, immortal, right? That, that, that's the natural conclusion. But he did not ascend to the throne of God because it does say in that text that no one shall enter the heaven, uh, you know, except, except me, Jesus. And so... Um, Okay, I'm just going to do, do a, this is through research I found. You can go ahead and go and conduct your own, <laughs> your own research. But um, so for Elijah, he was taken away by God in a van. They believed that Elijah was taken to an, another location, right? And so... Um, when he was taken so they believe he's some believe that he was gone you know he's dead and then a new prophet was installed elisha and so here we have um the new king of israel was another son of ahab jehoram or joram as he's sometimes called the beginning of his reign marked the year of his removal of elijah during this king's reign Elisha was the recognized prophet of God. And in the fifth year of Joram, <clears throat> the son of the king of Judah began to reign along with his father in Judah. His name also was Jehoram. The first thing he did do to establish his kingdom rule was to put his relatives to the sword, lest they should claim the throne from him. For nearly six years, he followed the ways of the nations and did evil in the sight of God. So almost 10 years now had passed since Elijah was taken from the people. And after this wicked rule by this Jewish king, God chose Elijah to write a letter. So every Elijah has been gone for 10 years. People believe that he's dead or taken away by God, but now God chose Elijah to write a letter and have it sent in the king and the to the king. The contents of this letter are found in Second Chronicles 21, 12 to 15. 
From the wording of this letter, it is clear that Elijah wrote it after these events had occurred, for he speaks of them as past events and of the diseases of the future. And so this letter is, um, Elijah was alive, but we do not know where he had been put. And so that's Elijah. Um, when, they're, when we're talking about, well, they did say, let's go search for him, but the theory is perhaps Elijah wasn't found because he was transported further away, further away than they were able to go and look. So, but the proof of Elijah being there 10 years later is in this letter that he writes. Mm -hmm. um, when we think of Enoch, we don't know where he went, but Enoch eventually did die as all humans die because Paul mentions this in Hebrews 11. It says, along with other men of faith, he states, these all died in faith, um, not having received the promises. So in Hebrews, I believe it's Hebrews 5, it lists everybody, all the men of faith, or Hebrews 11, or 5 or 11, somewhere in there. It, it, it lists everybody, um, all the men of faith, and what, what they had done. And then now in Hebrews 11.5, it says, all of these, everybody, including Enoch, died in faith, not having received the promises um, of heaven. So there we go. We know that Enoch died as well. Where did he go? Where did God take him? We do not know. But now we have Moses. Um, and a lot of people have said, well, Mo Moses disappeared, you know, on the mount. But... We have Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34, where it clearly says that Moses died on Mount Nebo. And it says, so Deuteronomy 34, 5, it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, the Lord, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. So in answering this question, where did they all go? Nobody knows, but it says in the Bible that they did not go up to heaven because, mm -hmm. because only Jesus can do so. Okay. And I guess there are some things that we may never know the full story. Yes, until yes. We get to heaven. <laughs> And again, again, this is my research and looking, <laughs> looking for everything. So go ahead and do your own research. Don't just, none of these, you know, none of these answers, you know, mm -hmm. are absolutely. Don't just take my you word for it. Own readings. Right. Do, do your own, do your own. Yes. yes. Okay. Um, but just going back to the Samaritan woman again, um, you know, this question is saying that um, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, um, will you give me a drink? And the uh, Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So the question is, who were the Samaritans and why didn't Jesus associate with them? Or why did she say that Jesus doesn't associate with them? 
Um, okay, so my research brought up this. Um, <clears throat> so we know that for more than 600 years, the Jews of Judea and later on those of Galilee had also been at enmity with the Samaritans. And this ill feeling between the Jews and the Samaritans came about in this way. 700 years before Christ, Sargon, king of Assyria, um, in subduing a revolt in central Palestine, carried away and into captivity over 25,000 Jews of the northern kingdom of Israel and installed in their place an almost equal number of descendants of the Kuthites, Sepharvites, and the Hamathites. Later on, um, Ashurbanipal sent other colonies to dwell in Samaria. So the religious enmity between the Jews and the Sumerians dated from the return of the former from the Babylonian captivity, when the Samaritans worked to prevent the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Later, the Samaritans offended the Jews by extending friendly assistance to the armies of Alexander. And return, in return for their friendship, Alexander gave the Samaritans permission to build a temple on Mount Gerizim where they worshiped Yahweh and their tribal gods and, and their tribal gods and they offered sacrifice much um, after the order of the temple services at Jerusalem. So at least they continued this worship up to the time of the Maccabees, Maccabees when John Hyrcanus destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim. Um, Apostle Philip, in his labors for the Samaritans after the death of Jesus, held many meetings on this site of the Old Samaritan Temple. So the antagonism between the Jews and the Samaritans were were time were time honored. Um, even Jesus, you know, it says that he he in some verses said, you know, don't don't go to Samaria. Um, Samaritans kept to their own villages and scripture mentioned, mentions encounters with Samaritans in towns bordering Samaria, so in Luke 17, and on roads between Jerusalem and Jericho, Luke 10. Jesus himself met with difficulty when ministering to people in Samaritan villages. Um, and like I said, at one point he told his disciples not to enter them. This is in Matthew 10. But, but, but Christ still shared the good news with the Samaritans. When he ministered, as we see in John 4, um, ministering to the Samaritan woman at the well and also healing a Samaritan leper in Luke 17. And let's not forget Luke 10, you know, parable of the, or the story of the good Samaritan. So a little history about, about how they, how they saw each other. Okay, okay. <clears throat> and um, an important point also, it, it, the follow-up question has to do with the fact that Jesus um, healed this, um, let me go back to the question. I was reading the passage itself. Um, when Jesus chose to heal the man, um, who was paralyzed for 30, 80 years. Mm. Um, sorry, it wasn't so much of a follow-on from that. So, <laughs> but mm -hmm. he chose to heal the, the paralytic man. 
he was paralyzed for 38 years and he did it on the Sabbath day. Um, so the question is, why did he choose to heal him on the Sabbath? And um, an assumption here is that he says, when healing him did not seem to be an emergency. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's the question. Why heal him on the Sabbath? And um, the viewer is saying it didn't seem to be an emergency. So why why go um, why heal on the Sabbath day when it was unlawful for because when he healed him and he said take that bed take up that bed and walk and then there um, as he's walking down the road they're saying to him it's unlawful for you to be carrying your bed on the Sabbath and he said well the, the, he who healed me said take that bed and walk so um, tell us a little bit about that. I love it when, so he answered them um, very succinctly in John 5, 17. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. So what he's saying is my father has been working and I continue working. So the principle is clear. God keeps creation. And when we say creation, that's, you know, that that's the making of things, but also is the healing of things because when he's healing, he is creating and making new a man or a woman based depending on their deformities or illnesses. All those all those illnesses have gone away and now they are new right? So this is still creation. So God is saying in this passage, my father is still working. I am also working. God is keeping the creation going even on the Sabbath. And therefore Jesus who shares a divine identity is permitted to do the same. Um, so this is why he's justifying, justifying this work. But when, when we also look at it, so we, while they're looking at here, they, they tell him to take up his mat and walk. This, this was the part that, that they didn't like, that the fact that it, it wasn't even about the healing per se, but the fact that the man was taking up his mat and walking, that was also considered work, you know, according, <laughs> according to them. And so, um, he was, Jesus was criticized for permitting this man to carry a mat. <laughs> but, but we see that Jesus still continues the, the father's work. Yeah. So he works alongside God in healing. Why would, um, why would God, what I was thinking of when, when, when I was reading um, this passage, why would God if he is able to heal us and help us now, why would he say, hold on, that healing can't be, I, I, I can't alleviate your pain until sundown is, right. has happened. That, that's cruel, mm -hmm. right? And, and so, you know, these people he's passing through, there are hundreds of thousands of people that have come to Jesus for healing and he has willingly healed each one throughout the days of the week, why would he then say, oh, hold up, it is now mm -hmm. 6.52. All of you, 
stop. You can't, <laughs> you can't come to me right now. I will do no work. I will not heal you. No, he, he wasn't a God. Like he wasn't, um, yeah, he wasn't a God like that. He had a heart of compassion and he's not going to say, I'm going to keep you suffering until 6.52 tomorrow evening and you can come back again and I will heal you then. No, that's not God. His, his, his work with the father continues 24 seven. Yeah. And he's a God of love. Yes. God of love and mercy, you know, and, um, everything that he does is, is for, uh, is to help us and also for us to learn, you know? So, and it was a message also for the people in those times, because he was trying to bring something across to them to say, you know, the Sabbath is not all about just uh, keeping laws and, and, and regulations and traditions. It's about love for each other, for your name. Restoration. Yeah. Yes. Yes. All right. Okay. So, our final question for this evening. It says, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And in this verse, Jesus tells the man who was paralyzed for 38 years, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Does this verse suggest that the paralyzed man um, suffered for 38 years because he had committed a sin? Hmm. That's a hard one, um, especially in the light of, so am I suffering now because of the sins I'm committing? I'm almost going to say yes, but be, be, before I verify that, so we, we, we look at this man. This man is conscious that it was through the mercy of God um, that he was restored, though he did not know distinctly yet for himself yet who Christ was. So he goes to the temple to return thanks um, to God for his cure. So, you know, like you said, this is what our Lord tells him. So in this, is he saying that he sinned? No. Yes and no. Jesus showed mm -hmm. him that he knew the secret of his past sin. So he's saying that his former sins were the cause of his long 38 years of affliction um let's go back to i believe it was the second second miracle that jesus performed or the third okay it's one of the beginning i think it was the second though um remember that story of of the paralytic man who um was in the house and his friends broke through the roof roof um, right. yeah Sorry, the paramedic, Jesus was in the house and they were trying to bring this paralytic man to a healing and the friends broke through the roof um, and lowered him in front of Jesus. And so Jesus looks at this man and um, what he says is, your sins are forgiven. That was, it wasn't just the healing of his paralyzation whatever whatever the affliction was that had paralyzed him but Jesus looked into the heart of the man and knew that he needed healing from the inside out mm -hmm. and so this is why he says first your sins are forgiven and so when this man gets up and walks everybody you know is murmuring oh who who, who is this man that that he can just come in and say 
you know, your sins are forgiven. Who is this man to be healing? And so Jesus, Jesus turns to the doubters and says, what would you rather, which is, which is, which one would you rather have had me do? Just heal him and have him take up his mat and go or forgive sins because I can do both. You know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, okay. but, but this is what Jesus is saying. So now he said to the paralytic man, so he knew that that man needed restoration from the inside more than he needed restoration from the outside. And, and so he did both. So now he's now telling this man who's come back, hey, um, your sin is what kept you where you were at. So now I'm telling you, now that you're healed, don't sin, you know, do something good with your life for, for all these people. And, and it has, oops, everything's falling here. It has said it through, through many of the healings that we have seen um, through, through the, the woman caught in the, in adultery. Right. Um, right. right. Several of these stories have says, go and sin no more. Why is Jesus saying this? He's saying that, yes, you've received your healing. Now leave your past. Leave that past. Start your new life. I've given you a whole new restoration. You are now a whole new person. Why then go back to what you were doing that landed you here in the first place? So yes, he is intimating that he did suffer. (laughs) This is the this is the intimation that he did his his 38 years of suffering was due to what he had been doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And just generally, um, sin came into this world because of disobedience. And Correct. so we find that there's a lot of suffering and, and disease and everything that can afflict us. The Bible even speaks to the sins of the forefathers. This is mm-hmm. the, the, fourth, the third and fourth, you know, fifth generation. That's and right. So, it, 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 yes, we could say it's because of sin in general in the world, um, mm-hmm. why he's suffering. But to say because he had committed a sin or his, his personal, he personally having committed a sin, I guess we, we cannot say, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, um, uh, but yes, you're correct. Why, why is Jesus saying to all of these people, go that way and sin no more? He's saying, um, start afresh, live your life different, live your life for Christ. Um, That's because right. of this great thing that has happened to you. Okay. And, and you're right. I was. Um, you just made me think of like, for example, people who are born with with deformities or or mm-hmm. or just affliction. They can't help. Right. You know how how they're born. You know, and so then they go back into genetics. Oh, it's because your mother and father, whoever carried this gene, and therefore right. let's blame that mm-hmm. because of your, I don't know autism or, or deformity or whatever, you know, I'm just throwing out things. But then we, like you say, we, we must remember that <laughs> we were born in sin. This mm-hmm. is, this is the conclusion. What we are is due, due to sin. So, right. yeah. Okay. All right. So, well, that is our final question for today. Thank you so much, Pastor Jen. Um, we are looking at John 13 through to Acts 17 for next week's study, and we're going to have you again with Principal Stevenson. Um, can you just give us what we, or what are we looking forward to in our I study am, next week? I totally forgot that. <laughs> okay, John 13. Um, 13 through the Acts 7. Through Acts. Mm-hmm. Um, bum, 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 bum. We are looking again at 
the 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 run up to the death of Christ and really all that he's he's telling to his his people to the disciples he's trying to teach them um there's a long conversation in the upper room about how to love you know how to love one another how, how to do so so that everyone that looks to you um mm-hmm. will know that you are of me he's instructing them how to how to have peace and what what he will do to bring them peace right um, he, he's telling them about what will happen to him but who he is sending, he's sending a comforter. He's telling them that, you know, you're not going to see me, but I've overcome the world. And so there's all these lessons and it's, it's kind of crazy that there's all these lessons before he actually goes through the rest of the trial, you know, in Gethsemane and, um, and, and, and he dies and so forth. And we come through his crucifixion. We come through his, um, his resurrection. Well, we, we come through him, them finding the empty tomb. We, we come to see where he appears again to his apostles again in the upper room. And now they receive the great commissioning of what he wants them to do. We see where he deals with Peter um, and, and what Peter had done and how he restores that relationship um, through the breakfast at the sea. And we're going up to Acts, which? All the way just through to Acts. Acts, yes, Acts um, 7. Acts 7. All right, and then now when we go through Acts 7, again, it's some some repeat um, of the promising of the Holy Spirit and and what happens in the upper room. and we talk about that there's a couple of miracles here about the lame man healed. We talk about how uh, the church will grow. And now what happens to Peter and John as they're arrested. And it talks about what happens when we lie to the Holy Spirit and, and how the power will continue through the church. It talks about the seven who are chosen to serve. And it ends with Stephen's. And so in Acts 7, it, stands, it ends with Stephen's address and okay. the call of Abraham. All right. Well, it's always a privilege and, um, and a joy to open the word of God. So uh, we look forward to yourself and Pastor Stevenson. Uh, sorry, Principal Stevenson. He should be. He truly should be. I, I, I tell him that. I, I always tell him that. Man, Principal Rob, you 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 missed your yeah. calling. You really. He's like, no, no, no. This is where God called me to be. So I really think he could do a dual job. Like he could be principal. He can also be a pastor. Yes. <laughs> That's a conversation you're going to have to have with him a little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. All right. Well, this has brought us to the end of another episode of the Bible Unmasked. And um, thank you to our viewers for joining us. And thanks again, Pastor Jen, for taking the time to be with us this evening. And um, we're going to ask our viewers to please continue to read daily and text your questions into 954-388-8780. And please remember to subscribe to the Plantation SDA Church's YouTube channel so you can be notified of our episodes and other live stream events. All right. Thanks again, Pastor Jen. Can you pray to close out for us, please? Yes. Father, as my sister has said, 
it is always a privilege to open your word and learn new things. And I know that that especially each time um, we do this and we are challenged, you know, some sometimes pe- people think that 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 we as pastors, we know everything about the Bible. And I, I would love to say that is true, but I love I also love the fact, Lord, that you are teaching new things every single time, Father. And so I thank you for for moments, these moments, this study that we can open up. And even though we have read the same passages over the years, Lord, um, that we can still look at one at one or two passages that we have read time and time again. And each time, Lord, it reveals something new about you. Um, dependent upon the season of life that we are going through right now. And so I thank you, Father, for your revelations. I thank you on how you speak to us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we continue to seek you, that our minds and hearts will be open to your teaching, Lord, that we always, Lord, don't just trust um, what we're saying online, Lord, but that this will encourage us to look for ourselves, your truth, Lord, and to validate your truth based on our own study. So Father, thank you for Bible on Mass, Father. Thank you for the opportunity to worship and know your word freely, Father. May others be able to experience this, Lord, as they strive to know you better. In your name, amen. Amen. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked.